Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hey, hey, and welcome back. My guest today is Curtis Mercer. Curtis is an empowerment coach who aids in deep inner work for people who wish to free themselves from the victim mentality label of ADHD so that they can embody inner confidence, courage, and passion for their lives. His diagnosis of ADHD at the age of seven caused him to struggle with personal identity for most of his life. This exasperated his mental illness, leading him to abuse drugs and alcohol in his teens and mid-twenties. The lessons Curtis learned from overcoming and conquering his mental illness have now equipped him at the age of 30 to help others call themselves their own personal hero. Curtis's unconventional methods of teaching personal growth and development have set him apart from the more traditional approach represented in a mainstream. He's proud to call himself a revolutionary, a black sheep, and the youngest of his family. It's my pleasure to welcome this awesome, young, powerful guest. Hey, Curtis, what's up? Hello, hello. How's it going? It is going well. I'm glad awesome. you are here. Thanks for being here. I'm glad you are here, too. I'm glad we're both here. This is going to be great. Yes, Looking I love to talking it. to uh, black sheeps and revolutionaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, as it's I, really refreshing. <laughs> you know, I believe that black sheeps and revolutionaries have changed our world for the better. Absolutely. Without them, uh, it would be a very different place. I wouldn't say a good one. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> and so we're going we're gonna to dive right in for our listeners. Curtis, you're someone I call this Curtis turned out. Uh, and be, that's because uh, their child turning out is the biggest concern or fears of a parent, right? Is my son or daughter going to quote unquote turn out? Absolutely. And I believe that just speaking to you, that you have turned out in your own way. 100%. I love that you said own way. Yes. Very, yes. very uh, particular and unique to myself. Absolutely. And I will say <laughs> that it wasn't an easy journey, but I'm excited to dive in and have you share your journey, how you went from a diagnosis to yeah. now owning everything that you've gone through. And you're now, an uh, I will say, an advocate uh, mm -hmm. for what you call waking up from ADHD and I'm excited to dive in. So absolutely. Yeah. So take us back to, it was seven years old, I believe, right. When you were That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It was seven years old. And, and to be honest, um, the, the amount of progression that I've made, it's, it's difficult for me in a lot of ways to actually recall all of that in a lot of detail in my past. And it's not because that I've, you know, completely uh, forgotten about it or I'm trying to avoid it. It's that like, I'm just here in the present now and focused in the moment and I'm not worried about the past. It's not affecting my life anymore, but I can easily recall it when I can. So, uh, and, and, of and course, by the way, key moments. And, and thank you for saying that, by the way, I'm the same way. The key moments are usually memories of some kind of emotion. Did I like yeah. it or didn't I like it? What did I learn versus details? So I'm totally Absolutely. Yeah. So um, when, uh, when I was seven years old around there, um, that was the moment, like up until that point, I've, I've, 
I was just like an energetic child, you know, I, I had a lot of energy. I loved to be outside. I did, you know, talk over my friends at times. I obviously stuck out and it was just whatever, you know, I'm a kid. Um, and then, you know, when I started into school, of course, um, uh, and then leading up to that, um, the teacher, you know, obviously, and this is just the same story for all, you know, all kids at this age, around that age, um, is that, you know, something was wrong with the kid, you know, something's wrong with the child. So my parents, uh, they sat down with the teachers and I remember um, I was, you know, with them um, and it was sort of like, you know, Charlie Brown speak where, you know, the parents are speaking, but you don't really know what they're talking about. It was just weird that they're together and you're there with them. And it was just a strange kind of uh, experience. And then I remember after that, uh, you know, my mom and, and dad said that I, you know, had this ADHD thing and, you know, that there was something that I needed to get uh, experimented on, right. And tested on, like as a kid, you know, his perception of that, it's like, okay, I'm doing things and, and things are happening to me that are completely separate and, and strange from anything my friends experience. So what's, what's, what's so wrong with me. And I, uh, I remember I actually, I listened to one of your, uh, uh podcasts with, uh, Kelly, I believe her name was, and, uh, she has a similar story to mine, except for me, I didn't have that like support of the confidence of, of having my own world already laid out for me. It was like that moment that I had the ADHD label. That was when I just believed everything that was said to me, to my parents, like that was, that was who I was. So it was like, okay, I need, I need this medication to like, uh, to, you know, to function properly. And that was a lot to take in. So the, the thing that I arrived at, uh, out of the gate was that I was broken. That was it. I was broken and I was, I would be broken my whole life. And, um, you know, I, uh, at this, at that stage, it was like, okay, well, you know, just a little bit further into that seven, eight, you know, nine years old or whatever. It's just like the thought of like, okay, I'm going to be like a garbage man for the rest of my life. Is that going to be like my ambition and my goal setting is going to be like that extent. And it doesn't help when your father, you know, and, and he's, he did the best he could, right? Like our parents did the best they could, but he said to me, and, I, and it really stuck with me that, you know, uh, Curtis, if you, if you were, uh, you know, a garbage man for the rest of your life, you know, I'd be happy as long as you're happy. And it was just because I just didn't have, he saw that I had no ambition. I had no care in the world to like make something of myself. But yeah, so I'm sorry, I might have went off on a tangent there, but that's how this works. <laughs> no, so. no, this is this is perfect. That is your story. And I think yeah. so many, so many parents most likely can relate to, uh, you know, the, the or and children, of course, who are now adults like that doomsday prophecy day where it's like you're yeah. abnormal, you're broken, uh, you're disordered. What does that mean? Right. And I remember interviewing uh, Stephen Porges, the inventor of the polyvagal theory. And he said to me, look, schools like the education system is a system of evaluation. Absolutely. And evaluation adds pressure and pressure adds stress. And yes. to a child who's already had stress and trauma in their lives, that's added stress. 100%. That ain't going to really, that's not an empowering label. It's not an empowering diagnosis. Not at all. Not at all. 
No. And so did you, from there, what were your parents, what did they go to next? Was it therapies? Was it medication? What was offered or considered? Yeah, it, it was um, medication was out of the gate. Like that was sort of the first uh, thing that the teachers recommended. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the um, psychiatrist, I believe in the school. Um, but basically they, they, we put on, we were, I was put on uh, medication for about a week actually, which was good. Um, so you were, you were tested at school? Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and then uh, the school psychologist was the one saying you should be on meds. That's correct. Yeah. And, um, and then from there, essentially it was, uh, yeah, a week of it, which was good. I'm glad that my parents, you know, after that first week of figuring out that, uh, you know, I, I remember that, you know, I, uh, they were asking me of, of like, you know, what's, what's, what's up with Curtis? Like what's going on? Like, you know, he does, he's not acting the way he usually does. And, uh, I'm glad that they picked up on that. They could, they could see the difference there. Uh, that I have my own, you know, uniqueness outside of the ADHD, uh, state of mind. And my friends also too, was, uh, it was funny too, because they were also wondering like, what's going on with Curtis? Like, why is he not like, you know, uh, raising his voice or, you know, like trying to speak over us anymore. Like <laughs> he's just like super docile and, um, yeah, uh, just completely deflated. And that's, that's, yeah, that's how this, it went. <laughs> this was, this was a, a week into, uh, the first medication. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then and after the that, it was, there was no uh, medication after that. We, uh, we tried, uh, without the medication and yeah. But unfortunately, that that didn't work out either. It wasn't it wasn't a, a, a very helpful um, go. Like I don't, I don't know what it was, but as soon as I got that diagnosis and the medication didn't work, that like deflated me even more. When I was like, oh my god, like okay, so this isn't working without medication or with medication. Sorry. So now what? And then it was just a struggle, like you know, day in day out, essentially. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you know, it's interesting because there's that doomsday prophecy that we got where if your son isn't going to be medicated for ADHD, he may later in life self-medicate and he may become a drug, you know, abuser, uh, go to jail, car right. crashes, you name it. Right. 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 And then there so, was a, a 30 year study, uh, done out of Berkeley by Nadine Lambert. And she actually proved the opposite that it was kids who were, uh, in, not in your case, because you, you didn't really have enough uh, medication time to become dependent on it. But right. once a child is dependent on, you know, quote unquote, functioning in the world with medication, yeah, there is that like, oh, I need an external substance to make Absolutely. me function, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also too, you know, like, even without the, you know, the science or looking at the facts of it all, you can just, it's actually common sense to be like, okay, so this kid you know, our society itself, you know, the doctors, the authority figures are, you know, supporting medication are supporting these pills to be given to their child. And then, you know, also the parents are supporting that as well. So it's like, everybody's on board with this. So, and then you can just jump to the assumption of like, okay, well, I guess drugs are okay, then let's, let's do some other drugs, you know, yeah. let's just, uh, let's, cause it's an altered state of mind. And so that's the way you sort of decide that is like, okay, well, if I'm not uh, good, you know, myself, when I'm, uh, when I'm not uh, on medication, then maybe I could be better, a better person if I'm on something else, you know, yeah. maybe that could work. So that's, and I, I, th I think yeah. most parents don't realize, and I didn't realize this either, that the dependency isn't necessarily physical with a drug. 
It's know? just that psychological knowing. It's almost like having a crutch 100%. and then figuring, well, if I use the crutch, I can walk more upright. So I'm just going to keep using it. And Absolutely. then the leg, right? The natural form, the muscle never gets developed to not be on a crutch. Yeah. And so it's all psychological. And then of course, physical dependency as well. But yeah, yeah. But like, it's great that you bring that up. The, you know, there is a massive difference between the physical dependency and the mental dependency because, and like a psychological, because you know, obviously physical is very noticeable. Like you can just, you know, tell right then and there that something is off and something is wrong. And that's obviously why it's just more common and it's easily uh, identifiable that way. So basically people just think that, okay, if it's, if I don't see the physical, then there's nothing else there. And there is no psychological problem, or it could be, you know, it's just an easy way to, you know, you could just say that to yourself and be like, it's an easy way to explain it away. Oh, I don't see anything physically on the outside. So it must be fine. Right. But you know, you don't want to look deeper into the psychological aspect of it, of how it could be damaging because it's, it's difficult to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it is for sure. Now, after that, what do you remember of your like teenage years, how mm. you went from being a unmedicated ADHD child, I'm assuming right. still stuck in the same school system. Yes. How did you get through your schooling? Mm. Or what um, happened, I should say? <laughs> I wouldn't really call it get through it. Um, there was a lot of struggle. And uh, I, you know, every day, uh, waking up, I didn't actually want to wake up. Uh, I just wanted to basically sleep as much as possible. I, I actually wanted to sleep more than to be awake uh, because I, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to be um, basically, you know, uh, dead, unfortunately, you know, like I didn't want to survive or live at all. And, uh, you know, my mindset back in those days, my perception of how I viewed things was that I was too much of a pussy to, you know, uh, in my life. So I essentially, I would just, you know, uh, try and do as little as possible throughout the entire, you know, um, go of it. So it was, yeah, it, it was absolutely miserable. And it, and it really, it really, uh, you know, compounded the problem with just school. I mean, like the way that it was structured where you're, you know, the, the, your friends and, you know, your and your uh, classmates, they all have like this very particular way, most, you know, most children of learning. And that learning was then, you know, uh, helpful for most people in the school system. Like they could sit at the, you know, in the class and listen to the teacher up with the notes and write down the notes. And at the same time, like there's other, you know, sounds in the room and that's fine. Like whatever, they can totally just like, you know, narrow all of that out and just focus on that one individual thing. But me, my God, it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm hearing, you know, people in the back there, like tw twiddling their fingers and like, you know, coughing and, you know, the sounds of the AC unit in the classroom. I was just over, over sensory overload, you know? So, but I just, I just assumed that because I couldn't, you know, uh, take down notes in class and couldn't do that individual thing that, I oh, something's wrong with me. Oh, my God. Or like I couldn't learn my multiplication tables. That, that was a big one for me uh, because my dad, he was uh, a tradesman. Well, he still is, but he's in the, the corporate world now. But anyway, um, he wanted me to be like a, a welder and all that, right? So 
multiplication tables was a massive thing where I needed to memorize them and I couldn't memorize the multiplication tables. So it was, it was just this, this grueling exercise of, of just uh, struggling constantly and never being able to get ahead uh, and, and, and only trying my best to at least compare to, you know, the bare minimum that my friends could do, you know, and uh, it was, yeah, it was sounds, brutal. sounds like a struggle. Were you ever bullied? Were you ever made fun of? Or how did um, that go? Surprisingly, no, I wasn't uh, bullied. Um, I think uh, because I, I, I was definitely headstrong, but I was emo. Like I, I did have some instances where there was some bullying going on, but I don't remember anything really that specific. It was, it was, you know, basically uh, for, you know, a couple of months go by. And I actually, I do remember one instance where um, there was someone that was being made fun of actually um, in the classroom. And it was, it was actually in level four. Uh, Level four is like grade 13 or 14. It's in uh, high school at the very end of it. Uh, Except if you don't pass the last grade in high school you have to go back and that's where i was um at that time anyway i know i'm jumping around a lot but that's just um I'm all good all this. good and this yeah. is your 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 you grew up in canada right or you're yes i did in yeah. canada yep. yeah i'm in just canada so we know yeah yep. yeah and uh in uh, newfoundland it's on the very end uh right where would the titanic actually sunk close to that <laughs> nice nice <laughs> yeah anyway <laughs> Yeah. Um, no symbolism there. I think <laughs> just not at all. Um, no. but, uh, yeah. So I, I remember, yeah, I, uh, uh, defended this one guy. I, I just I remember that there was this one missus that kept on, uh, the one lady, I should say that got, uh, really angry at, um, this one kid who had like a, a mental disability. He has trouble, you know, um, uh, he, I think he had Asperger's, I believe, or something like that. Anyway, she, she started yelling at him and, and was making fun of him and, you know, calling him names. And it just, I, there's something inside me that boiled up and I just like shouted at her. And I was like, you're, a, you're freaking BITCH and all this stuff. And I, I, I would get, I, w- I would try to defend people that, that uh, had difficulty defending themselves. And I get angry at other people and start conflict there, but nothing too serious. Or so that, that's, that's where the revolutionary started coming in. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yeah, for sure. The, 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 the Che Guevara came in. Uh, totally. Newf- Newfoundland. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, and then at, at, at some point you were also looking to self-medicate or you needed oh, yeah. a coping mechanism. And how did that start? Uh, how did yeah. it come about? Like, what did you turn to and what happened as a result of that? Yeah. So actually through, um, you know, most of uh, early school, um, you know, into like primary and like, you know, high school and all of the schools up until the age of what, like 20, 22, um, I didn't do any, anything actually besides the medication. I smoke weed like you know, uh, here and there once upon a time, you know, but it was never, I would actually, actually always like trip out really hard, uh, smoking weed or anything. So that I had bad trips off of weed. So I just completely, you know, stopped all drugs, but then after high school, that's when things really picked up drastically. It was like, I was a completely different person. Um, but addiction has always been a theme in my life. So, when I wasn't doing drugs or anything, I was playing video games. That was the first thing that I started off with. And that was when I, uh, since I was my God, uh, like, you know, uh, 10 years old, 
uh, getting my first console, like the Super Nintendo. And, and ever since that time, it was just like, I wanted to escape. And that was the easiest way to do it uh, because it gave me that sense of escaping into another world and, and forgetting about everything that's happening to me. Um, and that was, that was my outlet there. But then after high school, I got into like the party scene essentially where um, uh, it, at first it was Molly MDMA that, that really kicked things into high gear um, after trying that and entering into that really, um, you know, uh, altered state of mind where it was very euphoric and it was something like I've never experienced before. And I know it can be very therapeutic. Um, those types of, uh, you know, drugs type medications, I guess you'd call them, but, uh, in a lot of ways they can be easily abused. And, um, I think people that, you know, have, uh, well, self-identify at the, at that time with ADHD is, is a massive target for them. So, it started with MDMA, um, and then uh, it, uh, it it gradually graduated to uh, LSD. Actually, uh, cocaine for me was never a thing, even though my friends were doing it a lot. I I could never really feel anything from it, to be honest with you. Um, it didn't really affect me that much. Um, but I wanted to try everything under the sun. I was I was uh, what you called a, a psychonaut, where I would just try all types of, uh, you know, uh, mind altering substances to see, to see what would happen. And at those times, I, I remember not, you know, researching any of it. I was just like, I don't care. Nah, whatever, throw it in, see what happens. So yeah, yeah it was just well, like Russian roulette. I call that a uh, sampling coping mechanisms, right? You were just kind of uh, trying things out, right? Absolutely. 100%. And this last, this lasted for quite a few years. Yeah, um, actually, up until quite recently, like I am, uh, you know, I just turned thirty now. Um, but uh, up until twenty seven, uh, I was just flat out going with. Um, I really started when I was twenty three years old with LSD, especially, but also mixed with uh, Molly, and those were the two the two main ones. When I I just uh, I would do it all the time. Um, with acid, actually, I was addicted to it for about um seven years um and i would do it uh every five days when i would uh get um in a, enough uh days in between where i could probably feel some more of it i would just uh, take it and um yeah um it, it 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 made me feel and that's the thing like with lsd for me it, it made me feel confident in myself and that never happened. You know, I, I didn't even think that I was capable of such a thing. But uh, the moment that I had my first trip is when, um, well, I had an ego death experience, actually. I don't know. Do you want to get into that? Uh, I could. Uh, I, I can relate and yeah. I love getting into it. So go okay. for it. Okay. Awesome. Excellent. Um, yeah. So uh, my first uh, experience with uh, LSD was at the age of uh, 23 years old. I uh, was with my friend. Uh, it was basically at my parents' house and, uh, you know, they weren't home, obviously they were gone. So we had the whole house to ourselves and, uh, I didn't know, you know, what acid was at the time. It was just something that I heard, I actually heard from, uh, you know, uh, down the road or whatever they were talking about, 
you know, some of the kids, uh, well, some of the, you know, not kids, but young adults, I should say, um, they uh, were mentioning that there was this man, there's this, you know, this rumor or whatever, that this man who took acid, uh, and he's in this like mental ward in the, the, in our, the city, which is about a half hour from where I lived at the time. And anyway, he thinks he's a glass of orange juice now. And like, if you tip him over, he's like, going to fall and like die or something. And anyway, I was just like, what? Like, there's nothing that I've ever experienced that would make me go that insane or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Try it. Let's go. So anyway, me and my friend, we, we popped some. And uh, I remember I, I wanted to make a pizza uh, before uh, we were going to pop some acid. And uh, my friend was like, that's probably a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. And I'm like, I really am hungry. So let's, let's, let's go for that. So anyway, popped a pizza in. And um, when it, I popped the tab in, it was just this little tiny square. I put on my tongue. It was uh, Beatles acid. Had this, uh, you know, uh, yellow submarine on there. Actually, anyway, about uh, an hour later, um, I remember the entire environment, like my my peripheral vision. It just started to get super bright, and everything was like very detailed. And uh, it was like ADHD, uh, HD, HD, not ADHD, but HD vision. Um, and the lights in my house, everything started to get super bright and intense. And I remember um, when I forgot that there was a pizza in the oven, I was like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta get this pizza out of the oven. And I looked at the pizza and I'm like, what, what is this? Well, this doesn't look like food. And like, it looks like slugs or something like that. And the, and the texture started to eat it. I'm like, oh God, this is, this is a bad idea. I should have done that. And, um, anyway, then I was like, okay, let's, let's throw that pizza, you know, away. Let's, let's put that out there in, in the garbage, whatever. And let's go downstairs. So anyway, I tried to go downstairs and chill out, just relax and, um, put some music on my friend wanted put on uh, pink Floyd, you know, um, the, uh, dark side of the moon, of yeah. course, yeah. of course. And, um, I listened to that and I remember my every, everything that I thought I was, uh, up until that point, you know, the, the kid with ADHD broken, you know, uh, have depression and that's like who I am. I'm the depression, you know, kid or whatever. And, um, as soon as, uh, the acid kicked in really I was looking at the TV downstairs and, um, the, 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 the video started to like move and, and wave and it looked like it was 3d and it was coming out of the screen at me. And, and then I remember, in my mind, it just started to go blank. And I started to just like, feel like I was fighting to, to like, grab on to who I was to my identity. I, I forgot to, uh, I forgot my name. I started to ask my friend at the time, I was like, who am I, Sean? Like, who, who am I? Cause I, I don't, and I'm like, and then I'm like, and then, then that slipped from me. And then it was like, what, whose house is this? Like, Am I in, I don't know whose house this is. And then I, and then the country started to fade. I'm like, well, who, what country is this? And then, it, and then it was the world. I was like, what, what is, what, what planet is this? What is a planet? And anyway, it just went insane. Um, and then I started to try to, you know, uh, grab on to, you know, my, my identity. So I went on Facebook and I was like scrolling through my friends. And I'm like, oh my God, okay. Is that, is that her? Is that him? I was looking through the bubbles and then the bubbles, as I was, you know, forgetting their names, the bubbles on the screen just started to like blur out. And it got to the point where I, 
I, I, I was forgetting everything. And I was telling my friend, cause I thought that once I was going to forget everything about my identity of who I was, that I was going to die. And so I was telling my friend, I'm like, tell my family that I love them. Like, you know, they, I literally thought that I was going to die. So basically at that, at that moment, it was like, I experienced death, but I didn't die. And I was still alive, even though I thought I was dead. And then that was the first moment where I had that experience of, okay, so I'm not depressed or I'm not, you know, ADHD or whatever it is, because I don't even know what that is anymore because I was still alive when I forgot about it completely. So that was the first moment where um, things, uh, and it was such a bad trip, but it was funny, actually, after I had that experience with my friend, I decided to pop some more of it. And it was the most incredible experience of my life. But, um, you know, and, and of course, I know it sounds like I'm glorifying acid and all that, but that's just my awakening, my spiritual awakening of like, you know, sort of uh, getting out of that uh, box of who I thought I was. But there's more to the story. I'll get there eventually with through this, uh, you know, through this adventure yeah. with you. Um, but yeah, uh, that was that was the starting point of something different and a shift. Yeah, that's amazing. Me. Yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing that. And I agree, like, and I almost feel like we don't need to have a disclaimer, but this is not about promoting drug use. No, of course, not. check out. This is simply right. a story, right? An observation of the mental constructs that we yeah. put in place or society puts in place, right? Absolutely. Our parents, media. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and which is why I always say you cannot have ADHD. It's, it's oh. created. Now you can have behaviors yes. that we call ADHD, but if you were an alien coming to visit our planet and you would observe <laughs> a child in school, you would yeah. simply say that child just went outside five times more than the other child or that exactly. child stands up while he's learning. That's right. Right. And, 100%. And I think what I'm getting here from your story, which is beautiful, is that you were able to uh, set aside those labels, right? Your name, that's a label. Uh, yes. Country's a label. We made exactly. it Exactly. Yeah. Uh, everything you saw, it was almost like, if I'm not that, yep. then blank slate in the mind, who am I? Exactly. Exactly. And what, did you, what did you come up with? Yeah. So that was, you know, it, it was sort of, a, you know, and of course, a new discovery for me. So before that moment, you know, I, I just followed, you know, the, what is called the, the 3d world, you know, and uh, I'll just define that, you know, we should all have our own definitions of these things. Cause we all might have different, different definitions, but essentially the 3d world is, is the material world that you see, you know, you watch their news, you believe your politicians, you listen to your doctors, a diagnosis, you, you know, you pay, um, well, you, you understand that, the way that you you live your life is, uh, of course, uh, defined and, of course, controlled a lot by the the, the structures that are put in place. That you know, um, you 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 believe and respect those authority figures that are in place, like the teachers and and uh, you know lawyers and doctors and all that stuff. Um, but then you know, in what I also you know what I call the fourth dimension. It, and this is, I just want to go into this briefly. Uh, this is important, actually. Uh, it's a little bit of metaphysics where um, the third dimension, the fourth dimension, the fifth, these are not, you know, physical places like, you know, you see uh, or hear about, you know, SG-1, Stargate, you know, Star Trek dimensions out there somewhere. This is 
meaning the mind itself, you know, expanding what is our consciousness, essentially our awareness of the world around us. So with the third dimension, you know, what you call sheeple, um, I call sleeping lions, people that believe that that's all there is that, you know, what you see on the television telling you these things, these commercials, all that stuff is just, that's it. But the fourth dimension is, you know, and this is in all storybooks of all types where, you know, you get lost in the desert, uh, which is essentially an analogy for the psyche where you are just unaware of who you are anymore. You know, what, what is right? What is wrong? Um, you know, what is the things that define me, define my character, the, you know, with the values that I carry, the principles, the rules that I live my life by, all of those things are called into question where you then have a completely altered perception of how you view yourself in the world around you. So all of those components are, are uh, what happened to me when I, I, I took the LSD for the first time. It was like, okay, so there's, there's something else besides just my identity of who I think I am. And um, this is a lot bigger. <laughs> there's a lot more things that when you finally escape that box, uh, then you're sort of, you know, opens to the world around you and, and seeing things in a different way. And it can be very, um, you know, uh, scary, of course, at first. And uh, that's why it's called, you know, in the spiritual circles, uh, the dark night of the soul. It's, it's being lost uh, in yourself and, and rediscovering who you are. And of course, you know, I, I wish I could say that once I took the LSD, it was like, oh, perfect. I know who I am and everything's great. But that's what the fourth dimension is. It's about that uh, being lost and uh, a lot of trial and error. Um, that's what happened with me, trying to figure out what I wanted, what, uh, re what really you know, charged my batteries. And um, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, I, I tried out a, little, a lot of different skins, I'll, I'll say. Um, you know, I, I went into the nine to five life. I, I actually did even after the LSD. Um, because there's, you know, the, there wasn't many options available uh, that you could really, you know, grab onto and make something out of, uh, you know, in, in society uh, that's geared specifically towards something different or unique. It, it's, it's, it's very much by the numbers. So I, I you know, personally believe that, you know, uh, it, it's part of the journey for us to go through that nine to five work life, to go through all of that. Um, to really, you know, know for yourself if it's something that you want or not and something that, you know, uh, is, is actually going to help you. So I, I went into welding. Um, that was my, what my dad wanted me to do. So, um, uh, and I, like I said, I didn't know what I wanted and I was just getting high all the time uh, and spending time at my parents' place and, and just, you know, that was about it. So dad, eventually after, uh, it was like two years after high school, um, and not, you know, me not knowing what I wanted and working, you know, job from job, I, you know, meat department at my grocery store and McDonald's and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, uh, eventually I, uh, decided to go to, uh, um, school for welding about, um, a town like seven hours from where I was. So I had to go off on my own for the first time and all that. And it was great having that experience and, and, and getting out there and doing those things. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, it was still a struggle because I went back into school and, um, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, uh, had trouble with the curriculum and, and, and trying to understand, you know, why I needed to, uh, weld steel together and, and stuff like that. 
anyway, going off on a tangent, let's let's reconnect no, again. See no, 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 that's that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. my question then would be: Was it again realizing that yes, the the educational system or the teaching mm. there uh, was set up a certain way, and you had a friction with that? Yeah. But also you weren't really there because it was your passion where you're like, I want to learn about this is like tasty That's juiciness, right? right? Yeah. So it's almost like two things already speaking against you feeling at home there, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. The the issue with that is, you know, I've always said this is like, you know, we all of everybody needs, you know, a, a gap year, you know, this, this time where, before, you know, after high school, right? After so long in this institution, after so many hours that go by when you're not looking at the window and you're just in your classroom and you're studying your books and you're just down in the, you know, in the dirt and you're just getting your work done and passing it in and making sure you're getting those good grades and all of that. And that's great and all, you know, it, it, it's good to have that structure. And of course, you know, then that will help you with, you know, showing people that you're capable of doing things later on to know that you've gotten good grades in the past and all that. You can do those things. But unfortunately, you, you sacrifice the most important thing when you're spending so much time in these institutions because they don't truly, you know, help you develop into an individual, you know, into your own individual self and find what you want. They only, you know, create workers that are going to be effective in the economy. It's like here in Newfoundland, you know, it's very geared towards, um, you know, trades work and, uh, you know, carpentry uh, and, you know, heavy equipment and iron worker and all of this. And that's what you see everywhere. All the people that you talk to and see, that's what they do. And it's, the reason why they're doing it is because the, not the brainwashing, I wouldn't want to say that, but the effectiveness of these institutions and the marketing campaigns and, and just the push for people to be in that system and to go in that route is so, is so intense that that's what you get, you get it. And then that leads to misery. It leads to people that are unaware of what they actually want. And that's why most, you know, a lot of them have midlife crises and, and all this stuff. It's because at our very core of, you know, education, education should be about, you know, developing our ourselves and, and, and really understanding at our core, like what it is, what we care about personally. It's not this regimented like academia type center where, you know, you have to go in one direction or the other, or have to, have to be a, you know, a, a doctor or an architect or, you know, a lawyer or whatever. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to be successful. You know, right. it's, it's, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that reminds me of my childhood and I grew up in Switzerland and yeah, that's awesome. At that's the really end cool. of high school, yeah. um, I, I remember going into an office with a career counselor and he printed out my grades and then he sort of, you know, moved his finger from my grade over to the right. And then there was a category of jobs, mm -hmm. but then even further, there was also then a category of job of those jobs, a selection of a few of those that had actual availabilities in my town. Right. You know, so he goes from like, you know, 10 to like five to like, what's yeah. really in his opinion perfect so then i was i ended up with like oh you should be working at an insurance company and i was like oh really 
Oh my yeah, God. That's wow. what's available. And it pays well. And you can start next month, right? Right. It was that. And wow. I don't want to work at an insurance company. <laughs> no, I don't but think that, anyone does. <laughs> but, yeah. but I ended up doing it because that's what they recommended. And I worked there for a year and I was like, oh my God, somebody shoot me. This is right. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. So I can relate to that. Yeah. It's yeah. Cult, the, cultural. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, you know, the, and, and that type of, that type of mentality, you know, when you're, when you're greeted in that, in that way of like, Oh, okay. So you have this grade and you know, like you, you have these skills and your resume says this. So you are this type of person, you know, it, it, it's like putting you in such a, a box that you're, you are bound. Like it, there's actually no escaping how you're going to be miserable because yeah. if at your center, you're, you're not even passionate about what you're trying to do or accomplish. And it's just about money or, or trying to get respect from your parents or whatever it is, then you're, you're not going to have a good time. So it's, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, yeah. And I just want to, there's just something that I can't let go of and maybe I should let go of it, but I just want to <laughs> jump back to the drugs for a second because don't don't go away from that let's go back let's go (laughs) well here's here's the interesting thing so when Mm -hmm. you look at things you know drugs like adderall and ritalin they're scheduled Mm -hmm. to yeah uh, in the uh uh, drug enforcement agency schedule of the united states right right Uh, schedule one being the strongest or most uh they call it not currently accepted medical use and high potential for abuse is schedule one yeah and schedule uh, five, I think it's five, yeah, is the lowest. And Ritalin and Adderall schedule two, so they're pretty high up there with uh, uh, what they call potentially leading to severe psychological or physical dependence, right? Mm, right. But if we look at what's funny is LSD is actually a schedule one drug mm-hmm. alongside, and here's the weird thing, with marijuana. Mm, okay. And there's a few other, uh, you know, potent strikers like heroin and peyote and so forth. Absolutely. But what's interesting is the question, what I'm questioning is like this idea of like, what I'm getting from your uh, story is that any kind of drug that potentially takes us out of the mental framework of the labels and the boxes we're in, right? Yeah. Is freeing. Yes. And the dependency then is like, who wants to live inside of boxes and labeled with disempowering labels? Who? Exactly. Right. And so, so I wonder if the higher the schedule, you know, and of the drugs, the more it contributes to breaking out of that, the mental feeling of you're breaking out of that system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, The lower you go, it's just like Tylenol is like schedule three and then like schedule four is like Valium, Ambien, schedule five would be like right. low level Robitussin and you know, <laughs> other stuff. But, yeah. but, but seriously, like I don't feel, I don't break outside of the box with Robitussin or, or mm-hmm. Tylenol. Definitely not. <laughs> but the higher I go on the schedule, the more powerful it is to, to not be constrained to have that freedom. So just, just something came up when you were sharing that. Yeah, the, the higher is uh, the lower, right? The lower number. That's how that works, right? The, the higher is the lower number. Yeah. yeah so that's schedule correct. one yeah. would be super, as they call it, super addictive is schedule mm-hmm. one. Yeah. 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 I think um, a lot of that, and it's great that you, you mentioned that. And actually it brought up another point that's really poignant uh, to this whole thing. Um, actually, I did try uh, Adderall before and we'll get into that uh, in a second. And that's really important. Um, but I wanted to just go back for a second, what you said. So I just wanted to bring up that, um, you know, about society itself. And I think that, you know, for me personally, is that 
the fact and the reason why those drugs specifically, you know, the LSD and those ones, uh, you know, DMT, of course, and uh, other uh, mind altering substances that are more transcendental experiences uh, that take you out of, you know, your, your body in a yeah. sense um, are, are, are very um, uh, looked down upon, I guess, because it, they, they do that. They do that for the individual. They take them away from that box because it, it, from a, um, a purely business standpoint, right. Um, you know, cause of course these, these drug companies, that, that's what they are. They're drug companies, these, you know, big pharma that produce these, these, uh, so-called medications. Um, they have, you know, uh, uh, certain, um, uh, goals to, uh, to meet. Right. And, uh, you know, they have inventory and they need to, of course, sell a certain amount. They're a business. And, um, obviously when you have a business that's doing these things, that they're going to, of course, push to make more money because they're a business. And if they don't make enough money, then they're going to obviously, you know, not be able to exist anymore. So I, I think that what the, the big well, issue that's Well, happened, if I, if yeah, I may yeah. jump in here, of course, here's, here's a funny addition to that sentence. Yeah. I think it's not that they won't be able to exist anymore. It's that their stockholders would have to let go of their three Ferraris and their four houses in France. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> they could exist. Let's face it. Absolutely. Enough, enough people buy Tylenol and Robitussin and that things like true. that. But you're right. It's it's kind of like that existential. Oh, we need to stay big. We need to stay profitable, yes. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and like it, it's really important too because like the way I look at these these drug companies, they're drug dealers. Like that's that's what they are. I, and I also think a lot. Well, of I doc- mean, there's, there's yeah, that's yeah. not even. I just for our listeners, uh, yeah, what, Curtis, what Curtis, what you're saying is it's it's actually a true fact because if you look at the schedule two on the DEA Drug Enforcement Agency, is Adderall and Ritalin, for example, are in there. Right. So. Yeah. It is a drug dealer because a dealer gets paid to sell drugs, a drug exactly. dealer. So it's yeah. not a, it's not stretched too no, far stretched. No. You know what I mean? No. And, and, and even, and this might be a little pushing it, but I agree with this is that I think that, you know, a lot of doctors are drug dealers, um, not the good ones, but unfortunately the ones that feel and think that it's best to, uh, you know, either right. they, they've been conditioned to believe through the medical system that, you know, the, the type of uh, oil-based uh, medications are the best route or right. the fact that, you know, they, uh, uh, they've been paid, um, by yeah, these and, companies. <laughs> and by the way, it's, you know, they're implicit and even if they're unaware, they're still implicit because they Absolutely. should be aware of it. Right. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Ignorance is no defense. Um, especially yep. in their, uh, you know, their, uh, authority, they should be able to understand that, uh, wholeheartedly. So yeah, there's, um, there's so many elements there, but when it comes to, um, these medications, uh, with Adderall, especially, um, I don't know why, but you know, I, I, Ritalin was the first one that I was on, um, when I, uh, when, when I was like, uh, you know, uh, eight years old. Um, but then, uh, and then I was completely off of it, but then things, because it was so difficult, you know, with the welding and, and, and trying to fit into, you know, that, that mold that society wanted me to fit into, uh, that my parents encouraged and stuff like that, because of course that was the only thing that they've known to work is to fit into society. They have no idea that there's any other path. So that's of course how they think that their child is going to have success and be happy, you know, is, is through that route. So that's, 
Yep. I, I did have a lot of judgment and a lot of guilt towards my parents uh, for a long time. I blamed them for all of that stuff. But now I, I understand uh, with a lot more awareness of how things actually work uh, that, uh, yeah, that's just the way it is. But yep. when it came to um, Adderall, I, I tried Adderall for um, the first time when I was uh, uh, 20, uh, 20, like, yeah, 19, 20, 20 years old. And, um, I remember, um, up until that point, it was a very, it was a struggle trying to get it, trying to get onto it because of the, the fact that it's a, a schedule, uh, was the schedule two, sorry. Schedule two. Yeah. Yeah. Schedule two. Um, and, uh, and I, I and it was very difficult, especially in Canada to find it specifically. Um, I was able to actually, uh, me and my father, um, we ended up tracking it down when uh, we went to Ontario in, in Stratford and uh, we drove across the border, the United States actually, and was able to get it pretty quickly, which was pretty funny. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah, it was. We, uh, we have it over here, Curtis. We have like candy. Like, oh, I don't you know, you certainly want... <laughs> do. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, we drove down to Detroit and um, anyway, there was one, we went and, and we uh, had one, uh, one meeting with this, uh, with this woman. And um, anyway, uh, she, I remember, I, I won't forget it. We were just in the office. She sat with me there for like five minutes and she just took out the DSM, you know, the di, 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 was diagnostic, diagnostic statistical, statistical manual. manual. Yep. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, she sits down she's like, okay. So, and then she's like, okay, so explain your symptoms. I'm like, okay, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I have difficulty, um, you know, paying attention to certain things and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm agitated at times, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and then I, you know, memory uh, problems, all the symptoms of ADHD. And then she was like, okay, so yeah, you got that, you got this, you got that. Okay, cool. I'm like, what do you mean? Okay, cool. She's like, yeah, okay, we can, we can, you know, give you Adderall. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, oh, okay, interesting. So anyway, yeah, we ended up getting that. Wow. And um, it you was- left, You left back to Canada with some Adderall. With some Adderall, wow. yeah. Wow, successful trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a pretty successful. Well, to, I was trying to like, you know, put it in a little box to make things more simple. I didn't leave with the Adderall. It was a prescription. I got it uh, across the border. Anyway, but yeah, got ended it, up got technically it. with it. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, so basically after that, um, I remember we were in back in Stratford and um i remember uh taking adderall for the first time and i told my father you know once i took that i felt so at peace for the first time it was like oh my god my mind is so clear and everything just is like i i feel so present and in the moment and i remember i i went uh and i, I asked my dad like let's go to the coffee shop uh you know nearby so anyway i was sitting there at the coffee shop and i was just just enjoying my coffee. And I was like, man, oh my God, is this, is this what neurotypicals feel like? It's just, there's just no, you know, no chatter at all. Everything is just super clear. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was good for, uh, for a couple of, uh, well, a couple of weeks. Um, but then eventually, uh, I, I realized that, you know, when my dad or when my parents, you know, cause I was living with my parents at the time and, uh, I was working, uh, at this, uh, um, basically like automated, uh, farm equipment, you know, welding up that type of stuff, uh, about 15, 20 minutes away. Anyway, um, I, uh, I, I was able to sweep floors really well. You know, I was able to, I was able to sweep floors and you know, do that's the, a good advertisement for Adderall. You will sweep floors really basically. well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And it would also be really good for like cleaning products. They, they make a, a bank on that because I was really good at cleaning stuff and just like really focusing on what I need to do in the moment. 
but everything else was like gone. Like I, I did. I think that's, you know, that should be on Amazon. When you buy cleaning products, it should right. say customers also bought Adderall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it was uh, like, I, I remember sweeping the floor and, and it was like, Oh wow. Yeah. My mind is so clear. And it, and the reason why I was able to sweep a floor for like six hours or, you know, like clean the entire house, it's because I had nothing else on my mind. I didn't have any other independent thoughts. I, I wasn't creative. I didn't have any like perceptual way of looking at different multiple outcomes and, and seeing things from a different light. None of that. It was just like, this is what I have to do and I'm going to do it really good. And so for the while, um, you know, I, I, when I was on it for those two or three weeks, it was, that was it. I, I, I had to finally get off of it because it was making me so not myself. Um, and, and I, and I got off of it up in Ontario, but I remember when I, when me and my parents moved back to uh, Newfoundland, um, basically I, uh, I, uh, tried, no, it wasn't Adderall. It was another one. Um, it was not Vyvanse. Vyvanse, maybe? Yeah, maybe Vyvanse. Vyvanse? It was Concerta. That's what Concerta. it was. Mm-hmm. So I tried Concerta um, because Adderall was so intense. And I remember um, with Concerta, I was at my um, uh, at my uh, my parents' house again. And anyway, I wanted to judge essentially like, you know, how I would come up on on uh, the Concerta. So I, uh, I, I had this, uh, rock band. It's this, uh, plastic, uh, drum and guitar set where it's like a video game and you, you know, yeah. tap to the yeah chords. It's like guitar hero, I guess you call it. Yep. Yep. Anyway. So I, I use that to judge, to see like what the change would be. Cause I'll be able to notice it when I came up on that stuff coming up on it is like, you know, once you feel that high, um, anyway, in the morning, cause I knew it was a, a slow acting release. It was, it, it would take like 12 hours or something like that. And so I, I took it in the morning and anyway, I, uh, um, put on the rock band and I was playing the drums on the rock band and I was just like really just giving her heat, you know, just really enjoying the music, just boom, boom, boom. And that's who I am, you know, really energetic and just, Oh my God, right into the music. But then as soon as that kicked in, I was no longer interested in the music. I had no care in the world about the, the melodies and, and the, the feelings with that. It was just, I must get 100% on this song and that's it. And I remember in that moment, it was just like, oh my God, nothing, like I, I, I had no emotion. In that moment, I felt like there was no empathy or emotion or care about anything. And it was just like this, I felt like I was losing myself because myself is emotional <laughs> at my core uh, empathy. That's yeah. who I am. That's who I am. Um, and so when that, when I had that connection of realizing and thinking that that was completely gone for me, I told my father, I was like, dad, you need to take me to the Waterford, which is like a mental institution in town, about uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes away. It's and called like, the Waterford. Yeah. It's called the Waterford. Yeah awkward that- <laughs> why what's that okay you know? i don't know it just sounds like a, the weirdest name weird. for it is yeah, for a yeah. mental institution yeah for it sure yeah. <laughs> and uh anyway before i uh left with my dad uh we were in the uh, parking lot of the gas station um right before we were about to leave the town and i remember looking at um this person pumping their gas and i was just like i i, I was thinking about them i was like i could i could kill this person and not care 
And then that was the moment where I was like, really? oh, my God, oh, my God, what the what wow. is going on with me? Like and I was terrified. I was well, absolutely terrified. So so that just brought something up. And I, I'm not a, a conspiracy theorist. I do follow certain conspiracies because I don't like to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want to know. Yeah. What's actually true? Part of this is—is is it possible, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And there's this theory that we have in the United States that a lot of the school shooters mm-hmm. were on either ADHD medication or some kind of antidepressant or some kind of medication that I'm starting to see suppresses emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lack of empathy. Yes. And again, not that these individuals aren't capable of it. We're all human beings. We're born with uh, empathy and compassion. And obviously emotions are important, right? Yeah, of course. But what I'm starting to see and what I'm hearing in your story is Mm -hmm. that these drugs really cater well to our right brain, the analytical, the get shit done, the do it right, right? Mm -hmm. But the the, the left, sorry, the left brain, the right brain, brain. the right brain, the creative, and perhaps what I call the heart-based, non-linear, brain yes. is is uh it's not that either is more important no but the balance is off oh my god yes and that's what yes. you noticed right absolutely yeah and it, it it was so so unbalanced that um the, that that feeling and I, and I got so angry because i remember what well the one time uh with my uh my girlfriend actually after that after that experience uh when i was driving back home with dad i, I told him that you know, I didn't want to go to the Waterford now that, you know, we could, we could try and do something about this. Um, and I told him what I thought about what happened in that experience and all that. And, uh, anyway, uh, he was, he was of course alarmed obviously. Um, but I told my girlfriend, I, I called my girlfriend up at the time and I asked her, you know, I, I notified her about what happened. I was like, Oh my God, this happened with my meds and all this. And she was, for some reason she, well, of course she didn't understand for one, but she was like uh, telling me that he's like, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. Like she was just sort of like pushing under the rug. Like you're, you're being overdramatic about, about your meds and all that stuff. And um, that was another uh, thing that really hit me actually, before I get into this point that um, because, you know, a lot of people are neurotypicals, right. And neurotypicals, if you, if, you know, the viewers or listeners don't know is essentially somebody that doesn't have, uh, doesn't haven't, ha- hasn't been conditioned or, or, uh, had the label of anything, you know, mental illness or anything like that. And has just been able to live their lives without that stigma. Um, so basically that, uh, that type of individual, like it's, it's hundred percent very difficult and near impossible to relate to somebody that, you know, has been identified with uh, those types of labels because your experience is very different from theirs. Uh, it's a, you know, very different reality. So that was a, a massive thing that I ran into a lot was that, you know, people thinking, you know, my family and, and friends thinking that I'm just being overdramatic and all these things and, and my feelings don't matter and my thoughts don't matter about, you know, what I'm worried about of these things. And, and for a while, it, you know, it, I, I tried to convince myself that maybe I'm, you know, just overreacting and, and none of this actually does matter that much. And uh, I'm just blowing things out of proportion. And there's a lot of, a lot of chatter in the mind. Um, yeah. That was a, that was a major thing for me. Wow. That I, that I, yeah. yeah sounds, sounds like a big wake up call. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Big time. Cause you, Cause you know, if, if we think about it, there's so many people uh, right now in this world that are on medication for uh, depression, mm. anxiety, mm. Uh, uh, different mental disorders, um, yeah. you know, uh, ADHD, 
Uh, I mean, you name it. There's, I, I don't know if there's a drug for OCD, but ODD. There's just, there's just a lot of druggage flowing yeah, around, right? Absolutely. And if we look at our world and we say, well, is it really working well? Are we more irritated or are we more loving or, you That's know, right. agitated or happy or, and to me, there's a huge correlation. We're just not looking at a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I think, you know, for me personally, you know, from the research I've done, cause this is what happened with me is once I wasn't able to get the answers I needed from the, you know, the institutions and the majority of individuals and what they thought, and also the judgments that came with, you know, my outside perceptions of things that are just usually commonplace, you know, people reacting in such a, you know, emotional way of oh, what you think that like, are you serious? Are you ridiculous? And then I asked them question. So why do you think what you think? And they would get defended and, it's like, what? Like something is not computing here. Something is, something is going is off. And my first, my first hint at that was after I had that experience with the, that, that individual and thinking that I was like, okay, so this medication was given to me by a doctor, by giving to me by an authority figure that I was supposed to just be able to trust because this had to do with my body. And I understand that I didn't know my body because the experts knew what my body needed. And so when I put that in my body, I was expecting to may, yeah, have some symptoms, but nothing as extreme as that. Then when I went on, which is an incredible source of information, actually, Reddit. And Reddit is so good because you mm. get the behind the scenes look at what people are saying about the things that they're experiencing instead of, you know, experts that have PhDs and, you know, uh, certificates that just have their own way of yeah. perceiving these things because it's, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a reason-based, uh, logical-based thing. But the funny thing is for me, I think it's more reasonable and unlogical to obviously go off of somebody else's experience and own experience instead of somebody in a, a medical journal or a scientist or whatever. So, and then when, when they started telling me that um, they, uh, the FDA uh, had, um, they were trying to, no, the, the drug companies fought the FDA for getting the, the psychosis uh, label on the symptoms list taken off. So on the bottle of the medication, so people wouldn't know that that is a possibility. So when I started to figure that out and then look at the stories, you know, read the, the experiences of people that are on medications and, and, and how just dependent they are of just like, you know, these stories of like, Oh my God, you know, my, my doctor went on vacation and I only had a couple of pills left and I don't know if I'll be able to last. Like I've been through the addiction thing. Okay. That's what that is. You're an addict. I'm sorry to tell you, I, but it's I'm got a, nothing to do with anything else. I'm a hundred percent with you. And I said this a long time ago, and I'm going to say it with the most amount of love I can say it, but there's oh, this a, this is with all love too. Yeah. This is with yeah. love. There's tough an, love. <laughs> yeah. Tough love. There's an ADHD activist out there. Uh, Jessica McAbby, and she has a TED talk and she's a very beautiful uh, young woman who is an ADHD advocate. God bless her because she's really also advocating it to be a superpower and so forth. But she also is very heavily pro-medication mm. and she always only cites the people on the pro-medication coping, you know, disorder side. Right. And once she did a video where she was literally in she was crying she was breaking 
like down mm. because she couldn't get her meds in time. Oh my God. And her point was, look how disadvantaged us ADHDers oh, are when it comes God. to medical healthcare and stuff. And I, and I'm, I'm listening and I'm going like, I get it sister, mm -hmm. but you got to come out of the victimhood. You got to see that you're actually dependent on this yeah. drug. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, from there, you can repair yourself or remedy whatever you're doing, but Absolutely. not from a victimhood. And that's why I wanted to get to, uh, uh, also your amazing statement. I remember, uh, reading in your biography that you really are someone who advocates for people to come out of this victimhood, to drop it. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Cause that, that is, is the main component, not just in people with ADHD, but in the majority of people in the world, um, it's victim mentality because it, it's, it's very easy, right? It, it, it's comfortable. It's easy for us to essentially, you know, blame things on outside factors and not taking responsibility for what we need to do and, and the state of our lives. And the reason why that, you know, you work a shitty job that you don't enjoy. It's like, it's difficult to face the fact that, Oh my God, you know, I was the one that decided, you know, to take my parents' advice and take that job and, and then work it. And now I'm miserable. Like that's my fault. And I can change that by, you know, changing my behavior, by changing my, my outlook on things, by re, you know, looking at myself and, and assessing things of like, maybe there's something else there that I need to work on that, you know, uh, this, this whole victim mentality is not working out, but also the fact is, is that I'm not saying that, uh, people that, um, you know, the, the majority of the world are victims and they're choosing to be victims. They're not, um, they are being, you know, uh, programmed and conditioned in a way. And it's actually biology, you know, it's, it's the epigenetics of it where essentially, you know, epi meaning above genetics, it, meaning that, you know, our genetics are not what determine our behavior and our, our actions. Like that is, uh, that is essentially like an old model, you know, the genetic determinism, Charles Darwin type mentality of, you know, the survival of the fittest and your genes are set in place. And, you know, if you got a cancer gene or, you know, uh, there's mental illness that runs in the family that you're going to get it. Like, right. it's, that's all just, uh, you know, it's well, but not that's, true. <laughs> that's what parents hear, right? I often hear this when parents say, oh, but it's genetic. And I go, well, that's only half the story. Right. Yes, you might be predisposed, but you're never predetermined because the environment decides if those genes are going to get turned on or off, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, the, it's, uh, it's determined by your environment. And also your environment, is, it's, uh, it's um, based off of its perception. It, it's not based off of like, if one person is in one environment, then that other person will then have that same experience, just like, you know, person A and person B will be the same. Well, it's, it's different. That's why I said recently about COVID, I said, look, um, there, the, the, the fear that is the fear mongering that the media, you know, throws at us, this yeah. constant barrage of fear creates anxiety in people yeah. and, and depression. And mm -hmm. that in turn informs their behaviors. A hundred percent. And now they need medication. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, the way I see that is, um, and this is actually where I was leading into that, where essentially after I, I, I realized that I didn't get the answers that I needed and that I was being lied to essentially by the ones that I thought I could trust. That's when I started to do a 180 and I was like, okay, so what are the things that these 
people, these experts are not saying, you know, what is the other side of this? Yep. And that is the true research that people should be doing and need to be doing is looking at what the other side of the camp is instead of just judging that one side yeah. and being like, Oh no, this is totally right. Being able to like see for yourself. Okay. What, what, what is everybody else saying about these different things and what I, Oh yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I agree with you that the, when you listen to the loudest narrative, there's a reason mm -hmm. why that narrative is the loudest because yeah. there's the most money behind it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the way, you know, I've always seen this, I'm surprised that this was on Ted talk, but essentially I don't watch Ted's anymore. Um, but I used to, and anyway, there was one where they mentioned about the uh, never follow the majority. And it's so true. Like if you yeah. really want to be successful and if you want to really go the distance, uh, then at, at its core, you need to be an individual and like have an individual experience and, and have a very unique uh, experience that, you know, sets you up and, and creates that type of person that you want to become that's separate from other people. You don't want to do the same thing that the majority of people are doing. So being a black sheep, you know, it really helps with that when, you know, you, you essentially have always been that type of person that wanted to go in the opposite direction just because of that reason. Yeah. But it's, everybody should be doing it because the, the majority it, it, it works for, and this is, you know, this is more just logic and, and reason where it works for the economy. It works for the corporation. It works for the institution because the, the, the mentality to support those things and to go in that direction and to, and to support that mentality that comes along with that and the ideology yeah. and all of that, like it it's, it's good for that company because then you're going to be a good worker or a Absol good follower. Totally. And that reminds me of this idea that, you know, it works for things that they want to be automated yes. and that leads to artificial intelligence. And oh, I always yeah. said that, the brains or the humans that will survive the automation are the ADHD type, the neuro, the neurodiverse brains, not the neurotypical, the neurotypicals Absolutely. will be replaced because they are basically forming yeah. patterns and predictability. That's whereas right. people like you and I, we are unpredictable, my friend. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, yep. and you know, it, it's, it is of course, you know, there, there's good for uh, people that are neurotypicals as well, though. Like there's a place for all of us in a way, because of course, you know, they're the ones that sort of have that structure that we need as well. Yeah. It's teamwork, right? It's it the balance. Of, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But right now it's, it's very unbalanced We're they're not, you know, in society, we're not uh, appreciating the, the different uh, people out there like ourselves. You know? And, you know, it's I will add that recently I was talking to someone on a, on a uh, audio uh, social audio platform and mm -hmm. Um, we, we actually said to ourselves, wait a minute, if we were to add all the people that were ever diagnosed with ADHD, right. then the ones that think they have ADHD, the ones that are undiagnosed, mm -hmm. and then we would add the whole spectrum of autism, Asperger's, we would also include, uh, you know, dyslexia, right. learning disabilities. If we added up those numbers, I believe there might've already been a tipping point where more people are neurodiverse mm. than neurotypical. Mm. Now, that's just a Us. speculation. I, yeah, that actually would make sense because obviously, you know, that there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, different people out there, the way that they, they view things and, and view the world. I think that, uh, generationally, um, you know, the, the, the older generations, 
uh, that, you know, your, your, your type of generation, you're completely on the opposite of that. But, uh, and I don't talk to many people that are your age that have that kind of mentality, you know, you do and the way of, uh, yeah, the way of thinking. And then yeah, it's, 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 I'm definitely on the, uh, what is that called? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a minority at my age. I'm 51. Right. I, I, it's, it's, I notice it when I talk to 25 year olds, they're like, yeah, man, I get you. And I was like, really, that's amazing. Because, you <laughs> it's know? true. I do get you. I do. But most, most people in my age are so set in their ways. They're like, no, 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 this is, we got to do it this exactly. way. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it makes sense obviously because they, they've been alive longer. They've been through a lot more conditioning. And of course you think about, you know, the, what was, what technology was around during that time. And it was the TV, right. And it was right. the radio and those things were, you know, they only had so many channels. You didn't have, you had books, but you only had a library, you know, in your local community. And that was a selection a very, you know, very, uh, uh, a focused selection, shall we say. Right. So. And the thing, <laughs> things, things are changing. And, and I, I want to bring something up that now I'm, I'm curious how much heat you've gotten so far, mm. um, with this term waking up from ADHD. Mm. Oh yeah. Uh, a lot of heat actually. Uh, I, I like to, you know, go out on the uh, ADHD support groups on Facebook and stuff like that. And, and just sort of like, uh, look at, uh, what people are saying and, and what's really the main focus of, uh, what they're on there for. Uh, and I actually, cause I like to just throw things out there and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, jump, uh, uh, in the deep end, uh, just sort of to understand what, what's going on and, and all that stuff. I've always been able to do that. And anyway, I, I asked the question on one of those support groups. I'm like, uh, you think there's a possibility that ADHD doesn't even exist? And, um, my, uh, my, Ooh, my you're, you're asking for it, brother. Oh yeah. Well, my admin, well, I actually, somehow I was able to get approved on that post, but he probably approved it just because he knew I was going to get ripped apart yeah. and man, oh man, people just completely lost it. And it's, it's because they, it, at their core, it's the identity. It's exactly. like, if you're not ADHD, if you don't, if I don't actually have ADHD, then who am I? Like what, what? what uh you know what things make up who you know who i am and then that that terrifies them because well that's that's why the first thing we mention on our website is the struggle is real but the label doesn't have to be right yeah because but when you say adhd doesn't exist again i agree with you what people hear is my struggles aren't real right i've i've uh, I, I'm believing in something that supposedly doesn't exist, makes me stupid. So I'm not stupid. Right. right? So right. all these things come up versus the question of like, huh, what do you mean? Yes. And then engaging yeah. in a dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody tells me if, if right now somebody would come in as a guest somewhere on a platform and say ADHD is actually real i'd be I'd like love i'm interested yeah. i know i'm like what do you have to say because i want to hear about it I've, I've always i've always wanted to you know be surrounded by people that were passionate about what they believed in and wanted to really have a, a great open dialogue about it but i'll be honest i have not come across many and i've actually like you know had open uh, you know invitations to people like do you like, please like, you know, come on, uh, come on my, uh, you know, my podcast and, and stuff like that and, and talk to me or just come in person or whatever and yeah. talk to me about this stuff. And like, well, cause like, I think that the best way to understand ourselves and, you know, understand the world around us is by talking with people about their own experience. But most people, I believe, you know, from that research of going out there and, and having this dialogue and trying to get people to really talk about these things is 
it's it, the reason why they're not talking about it is because they don't really know. They, yeah. they it's just this label and it's just this uh, regurgitating generalized type narrative, but there's no substance and, and depth to it. They don't know how it, where it's going. It's yeah. And I think, you know, when people talk about stigmas, I, I was talking to this young British woman who is a activist and she talks a mile a minute. Yes. I've never seen anybody talk that fast and, <laughs> and she's awesome. Right. She's awesome. like 23 and, yeah, She's yeah. obviously in our camp, but she was talking about stigmas. And I told her, I said, look, I think the biggest stigma, because if we're talking about stigmas like, oh, ADHD people are stupid and they're irresponsible. Those are right. stigmas. They're still inside of the, the, what I call the big stigma is that ADHD actually isn't a disorder. Mm-hmm. So, so why are we nitpicking little tiny little stigmas inside of a, an agreement that doesn't empower us? Why? Yeah. Like, yeah. sure, we can say, oh, ADHD is like a superpower. Well, no, it's just you're unique and you just have to learn how to live with it. And then, mm-hmm. yes, you have superpowers because you're being yourself. That's the superpower. Be your fucking yeah. self. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, and of course, like, you know, we can get into a little bit of the, the, the spirituality of this and that, you know, I, I you know, I, I used to for about nine months, actually, um, I, I started my spiritual uh, coaching business of like, I got my certification and part of that certification and getting it was essentially developing a platform specifically for a certain type of individual. And at the very beginning of it, I wanted to go after people that, you know, identify with ADHD, but I made the decision at the beginning to not do that because I thought that people that self-identified with ADHD was still not at that point and time where they wanted to shift themselves and really yeah. change who they were. So then I decided that it was best to go with somebody that self-identified as being an indigo. And so for me, that was the moment actually where I was able to take my power back because I, I decided that if I wasn't ADHD, if I wasn't this label, then I'm going to replace it with another label that I resonate with and that empowers me. And that label for myself was uh, being indigo. And it was essentially mm. a person that is all the qualities that you could say of being, you know, um, uh, reactive and all that stuff. Uh, but it was uh, a strength of being like, oh my God, okay, this person can focus on multiple things at once. You know, they, they can uh, uh, do the hyper, like hyper focus, for example, like I can literally, you know, for, get to eat sometimes, you know, for supper or sleep, because I'm like writing down like a, you know, three, 4,000 page essay or something like, you know, in, in, in a very short period of time, it's just like, when I was able to finally replace that label and have an empowering label, that's when things started to shift for me when I was like, Oh my God, I have gifts. I have skills. Like yeah. this is, and this I think that's, really intense. This that's good. the argument for uh, empowering labels, right? If you, yeah. If we look at ADHD, like there's a deficit word in there. There's a mm-hmm. disorder, like those yeah. D's, they need to go because yeah. they're not, they're not true. Both of them, neither of them are true. No, no. I, I remember I, I searched up the, the definition of uh, deficit and it's like uh, a disorder, failure function of the, you know, neuro, uh, you know, pathways in the brain stuff like that. And it's like, wait, what? this is right. so disempowering. <laughs> so you know, you know what, what blows my mind though, Curtis, is this. Yeah. I hear this all the time. Neurochemical imbalance. I hear oh, uh, the brain is different, bigger, right. smaller, all this stuff. And on the other hand, people celebrate yeah. 
neuroplasticity. Science proves that you can rewire your brain at any time in life. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And so, but people, people are stuck and they hear this incomplete truth of like, oh, there's something wrong with your brain. Well, right. we can fix it. Yeah. Because, because scientists, and I've had a bunch of experts claim this, that uh, mm -hmm. the, the types of brains that we cannot fix where there's a physiological damage, and this is Bruce Lipton said the same thing. He said it's like 3% of the population. <laughs> Right. The other 97 yeah. can rewire their brains, yet we feel like what we from what we've heard that, mm. oh, man, we're kind of stuck with this faulty brain. Right. It's not true. It's not true. No, no, it isn't. A hundred percent. And and also, too, like there, there's an element there where when it comes to that label and, and it comes to like, you know, the, the amount of people that are supporting this type of understanding of it, of, of the medications, of the genetic determinism, like all, all of these these. Uh, components and principles that are not actually backed by real, you know, fact and observable, you know, things that you could see with your own eyes and, and be able to experience in your own environment. Like, and, and the question is, it's like, so why, why is it that people are, are so, you know, uh, are stuck into this victimized way of looking at things and why there's certain information that is really encouraged over other pieces of information. And, you know, I, I, and this is, you know, when it sort of uh, dived into uh, that narrative of the conspiracy side of things. And I, I gotta, you know, mention that and, and, you know, conspiracy, you know, for a while, uh, conspiracy to me for the longest time actually was just like, you know, what Bigfoot and like Elvis is not dead and all that stuff. Right. And to go on YouTube and watch, you know, YouTube right. top 10 lists and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. i never took any of it, any, you know, seriously, but I don't know when I started to, you know, look into things, you know, with that framework uh, of that, the medication and the psychosis part of it, I, I then started to, it, it started to uh, make me think about and question some other things uh, about, uh, you know, our, our, the school system itself and the why is it the fact that, you know, our school system hasn't changed in decades and, you know, everything else, every industry is advanced in such a drastic way, but schools is virtually stayed the same in the way that we teach children and all the rest of it. And it seems like that there's this, um, you know, with all of these different elements in different industries, that there's this uh, sort of narrative that is pushing people in a direction that disempowers them on purpose. Yeah. And disempowers them on purpose because you know when you look into history, you look into things like that. Like uh, obviously, the person that's disempowered is is able to be controlled easier. You know, they're easier to be molded into whoever you know you want them to be. So, well, it's yeah. also even if you were to say, well, that sounds a little conspiracy, like the control right. thing, right? I would say, right. okay, let's back up from that because yeah. big companies are always asking themselves one question. I come from advertising. I've sat nice, in rooms nice. with, with some of the biggest creative directors of the big brands. Awesome. And there's always the question, how can we create a repeat customer? Right. That's the question. Repeat, totally. not just how can we get new customers? Repeat customers. Right. And pharmaceuticals have companies have figured this out. It's not mm. that hard. You create no. a repeat customer by creating dependency. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. They're, secret. They're customers for life, basically. So yeah, it, it, it's essentially, you know, like we we're touching base on earlier, you know, the business, they need to make money. They have their shareholders, all that stuff. So essentially it's just you realizing that and understanding that there is this force that is working against you 
and that you need to be able to think for yourself critically about your own body and your own mind and make your own decisions that are not, you know, with that norm, because obviously, you know, with the marketing behind that, the advertising, all that, it's very strong, you know, to convince people with that because the psychology is in there with that. If you've ever watched social dilemma, you know, about Facebook and the algorithm and how it, you know, really shapes society as a whole, just because it's effective at what it does, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very, uh, yeah, very, uh, uh, damaging thing. Well, Can't this be. is, this has been great. Um, I know we could go on for hours. You and we I, and we will could, do a yeah. follow-up, but I have one, I <laughs> want to ask a, a couple more things. Yeah. I wanted to ask you because one of the theories that we're deriving from this seven years of research, talking to some big experts, yeah. especially in the area of trauma, nervous system, stress, Mm-hmm. What would you say in your life from the conception or the prenatal stage until you're early, like before you turn seven, right. was, was there, was there trauma and stress in your upbringing that you're aware of that mm-hmm. might've contributed to uh, this, your nervous system being like in the locked in a state of uh, uh, defense stress, yeah, right? I love that you brought that up. Yeah. So when it came to, uh, um, you know, we were talking about earlier with the difference between physical, you know, and, uh, and the mental, right. And psychological and, uh, that there was never physical for me. There was never any physical abuse of any kind with my parents. I had two loving parents. Uh, they were with me, you know, all the time, uh, in terms of they were together, like they didn't separate. They're still together now. So I had a, a full healthy health household as well. Um, and my mom loved me very much. So did my father, Um, but what was the issue there? And, um, it still is, you know, I'll be honest to this day is is that emotional connection there. Right. And my, my mom doesn't really know how to emotionally connect with me, uh, had never really have. And, uh, also my father as well. So, and because of the way, you know, uh, being empathy is, is one of the main things for me, the main drive and, and what really fuels me, uh, I, and not having that from my parents, uh, in the beginning of things, it was very, it was very, uh, disconnecting. I, and I felt that my reality, how I see, how I saw things didn't really matter that much. And that maybe, you know, uh, at the very beginning of it, I questioned my own feelings of, uh, what I felt on the inside wasn't actually, you know, valid and didn't actually matter. And that at the very core, even through before the medication, it was like, okay, the thing that I'm feeling on the inside doesn't actually, you know, uh, it's not helping my family, my, my mom, my dad love me more. So maybe I should stop feeling what's better for me on the inside and, and try to escape into other ways of dealing with that. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. very well said. What I'm getting from that is that lack of nurture or uh, a true emotional uh, fitness or presence from, from the parents, right? Yes. That almost yes. has the same weight of impact as, say, a divorce, uh, abuse. Oh, my God. Uh, yes. That's what we're finding. And here's an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, there was this this uh, theory in the 50s. Uh, Leo Kanner was the guy who kind of I think he coined or brought autism into the picture of the world and he um unfortunately he didn't have the right advertising team uh, the right right branding but he said that he he felt that um people on the spectrum at the time it was autism but you know it is a spectrum Yeah, yeah that they um that it was due to the parents he called it refrigerator parents 
Mm-hmm. And right. he was onto something because for sure, I believe that most parents, including myself, my wife and I, are, I would say very aware. We've done a lot of work, but yeah. still it is a yeah. challenge for us to be truly present and nurturing emotionally fit with our children. Yeah. So yeah. now imagine generations of generations handing down sort of this emotional in, incompetence or absolutely not being emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Causes a lack of nurture, causes a disconnect. Therefore, a child fe- doesn't feel safe. Yes. Um, the nervous system can calm down, and now it's it's in survival mode, right? Absolutely. I believe oh, that's what's happening. Call me crazy, but yeah, uh, I agree. Because because no one I've I've talked to so many people about ADHD and potential traumas, and it's usually either uh, abuse, divorce, like something heavy, or yeah. it's just a very clean, calm lack of nurture. Parents weren't emotionally there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I hundred percent agree. And the last thing I just want to mention that, like we were talking earlier, you know, about uh, identity and, and about, you know, the school system and how that's set up, like all these things are so intricately connected where, you know, obviously because the fact that, you know, the identity aspect of things, uh, it, it, it turns to, you know, the, the type of person that, you know, goes to college or university for a certain thing that they don't enjoy, then they get into that work and then they're working so much at it that then they have to neglect their family and all of that. And it's just this cycle that keeps repeating. So it, it's trying to, you know, uh, uh, balance those things in a way where unfortunately, you know, a lot of it has to come from the top level of things of, of uh, creating a new type of uh, system for especially education and, and uh, the rest of it of, of having uh, multiple ways uh, for, uh, you know, an individual to learn and, and going off of their needs and what they need to personally uh, grow, you know, to, to yeah. learn and grow properly. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, it, it's a, a winding web for sure. A lot of elements. It there. is. But now yeah. I want to jump forward. So you're sitting here today, you're 30 years old. Yeah. I want to ask you just a couple of poignant questions. Absolutely. Are you happy? Yeah, I, I certainly am. Actually, this is the first part in time in my life where it's funny, you know, when I was a welder um, and I was an apprentice welder and I was making, you know, 17 grand after five weeks uh, of work. Uh, it was up in uh, Roth Logston, which is up in Lab City, about seven hours away. Um, and I was on rotation and I, you know, I, I, I was making lots of money, but I was absolutely miserable. Um, a hundred percent miserable. And I was working 80 hour weeks. So it was just like, I, I had no life. And, um, you know, I, and now, you know, I, I'm definitely not making that much money, <laughs> not right now at the start of things. Uh, but that's all part of, you know, the risk involved in doing this. Um, but it has its, uh, balances and, uh, one of them being the best. And the fact is, is that now I can finally say that I 100% love myself mm. and I am my own personal hero. Um, and, uh, yeah. It, it's, yeah, the, the fact that, uh, the things that I, uh, I went through the struggles that I've been through and, uh, you know, at a time thinking that, you know, I was never able to, you know, thinking that I was going to be a garbage man for the rest of my life. And now where I am. Um, and the funny thing is actually, I was, I was saying this to my parents that 
because right now the, the whole, uh, spiritual coaching, uh, aspect of things, it's very difficult to, uh, to find clientele when you've been banned from Facebook. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, so now essentially it's more or less, uh, I was trying myself at, uh, just getting back into the nine to five actually. And it's funny, you know, like before I was, I couldn't bear the nine to five life but it had nothing to do with the nine to five life. Yeah. It had to do with uh, my own mindset and how I felt on the inside. And yeah. uh, now I could just be wherever. And uh, yeah, I'm just like a lighthouse and, and uh, shine That's on my amazing. Light. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is not only are you happy or let's call it truly loving yourself at home with yourself. Yeah. But what I'm hearing is that you're following your passion. You're passionate. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. There's a purpose and, and, uh, and the meaning. Yeah. And I will just it. say to any parent, I'm a parent, I have two boys, nine and 12. And I will yeah. say if my, if in the future, my boys can look at me and say, I'm happy with who I am. I'm happy in life. I'm passionate. I'm following my passion. I will die happy. Exactly. Yeah. That's all I want to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. I want to mention it's uh you know, the whole video game thing. Right. Um, I, I've been trying to, uh, like I said, at the, uh, the spiritual coaching and the empowerment stuff with ADHD and all that. And it's like I said, the ADHD self-identified individual, it's not, they're not really interested in that type of thing. So, um, me and my father actually had a conversation and, uh, it was essentially about like, man, you know, maybe you should, uh, uh think about, uh, getting back in, you know, to the, the nine to five. And, and that's how I decided on getting things as well. Cause he's actually helping me out a little bit, uh, as of right now, uh, where things are getting tough and rough. And the, and the funny thing is, right. It, it, you would think obviously that still having my parents support and, and them helping me out and stuff like that, that I would, you know, be guilty and that I would have that self hatred for myself. But I, I don't the way a lot of it has to do with the spirituality aspect of it, how like it's, it's, it feels like things are just fitting the way they are. And these are yeah. lessons that I have to yeah. learn, you know? And, and I will say, I will say, and this is not even to your defense, but I will say that abundance shows up in, in many forms. Many so having your parents support you, some, some people get government checks, some people find money, some people win the lottery. It exactly. doesn't matter no. where it comes from. That's right. It yeah. really doesn't matter as long as we don't cross boundaries and our parents don't want to give money, but we forced them to, or we may, you know, as long exactly. as there's a clear like exchange of like, yes, yes. That's right. It doesn't yeah. matter. But the, yeah, the, the exchange, especially like, I, I love this show. It's called full metal alchemist. It's a anime. Anyway, uh, the, the equal exchange aspect of it, you know, like yeah. to have equal exchange and that's what it is. Like I I'm helping my father out now in the, the cabin where he actually had to get surgery recently. So he needs help uh, specifically around the outside the cabin with wood and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's funny how those things just line up perfectly yep. at the right moment when you need them the most. That's and great. It, it's at the abundance aspect of it. Exactly. It doesn't have to be this physical currency, you know, anything like that. Uh, it, it can, it can manifest in so many different ways. So That's yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. But yeah, um, I, just, I was, Oh, sorry. I just wanted to mention that. No, yeah. Go ahead. 
but now um, uh, me and dad actually, uh, because of the, the nine to five thing, it's, it's difficult for me, especially here because uh, I'm not getting the, the vaccine or anything like that. So essentially I'm not, I'm unvaxxed. <laughs> oh, yay. I'm, a, I'm a pariah <laughs> around here. You're one um, of those. I get yeah, it. I know. Right. I'm one well, of those. I will just share that I'm unvaxxed in my family as well. And uh, we are a strong stand for it from our intuitive sense like this is not a yeah. fighting science fighting the system it's just no, a no for no. us right now totally so. totally yeah, yeah absolutely but yeah so because that's more not really on the table uh to get a nine to five job uh, i i you know talked to dad and uh you know uh, when it comes to the whole youtube thing with video games and uh i never i never like understood how people could just watch for hours and and literally give people money you know yeah. to just sit there and play video games and it's funny that when i play video games i still do from time to time uh, i just talk openly and it's just like so yeah it fit pretty well so now i'm trying my hand at that and nice, uh, nice. so far it's going pretty good and uh yeah i'm, I'm, I'm excited about that that's so, cool yeah, well, yeah. Oh, hey man curtis I, I would love to for our listeners just to hear where they can find you and i will put this in yeah. the show notes as well so yeah absolutely yeah you can uh, find me at uh, uh well i have my own website website uh curtismercer.com uh that's where i actually cover uh, a bunch of topics from mental illness to spirituality uh then i got some addiction stuff in there and uh, my own personal story i got a couple of short books on there as well um just a uh, different uh, different things that i'm into um and then of course my uh my youtube channel uh is that subjectively uh that's s-u-b-j-e-c-t-i-v-e-l-y offensive uh, offensive. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, my YouTube channel for spirituality stuff and mindfulness stuff. And, uh, my email, um, you can get me at Mercer. That's my company, uh, Mercer shift media, M E R C E R shift S H I F T media, M E D I A seven, eight, six at gmail.com. Nice, oh. nice, nice. And we're going to have these in the show notes. So awesome. nobody has to type them down or write them down, <laughs> right? They can just click. Gotta love it. Comfort of their mouse. Right. Um, well, <laughs> Curtis, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your story. Thank you for your vulnerability and for yeah, sharing thanks, all this. Yeah, great, all these uh, gems, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was awesome uh, having you on here, uh, having me on here. And I got to say, like, I'm so, uh, so relieved that, you know, that you're doing this, uh, you know, with your wife and, and of course your, your kid is also involved in this too, Kai. Um, yeah, I'm sure yeah. that your other son as well, like the whole family, like you said, the Wyden family and the, that documentary, very excited about that coming up. Um, you're just doing incredible, incredible stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, when I first actually was uh, researching into, you know, ADHD, uh, is over, well, not ADHD is over. It was awakening from ADHD. That's my sort of empowerment thing. Yeah. And I was like, what else are other people thinking, you know, similar to this? And then I saw your, your podcast. I was like, oh my God, someone's got the same <laughs> sort of thing going on. Sweet. Good, so good, anyway, good. Yeah. It resonated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it resonated. Our, yeah. Our, <laughs> thank you for saying that. Yeah. Our movement's really about resonance, right? If you're not resonating with it, it's okay. Exactly. No hard feelings. Move, yeah. move along, buddy. That's right. Like, yeah. It's totally. for people who resonate with it. And uh, exactly. it, I'm, I'm doing it for the one person, not for, I'm not trying to reach millions if it does great, but that's right. Know, those who resonate will, will get something from it. So that's what it's all about. It's about resonating with what you feel in your heart is the right and uh, meaningful path. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 100%. So thanks for being on Curtis until next awesome, time. Yeah. yeah. Until next time for sure. Thank you.